Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles this morning, and let's turn together to a passage about the table that you see covered here before us this morning. Let's turn together to... Let's do 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This morning is going to be very interesting. I knew we were going to do communion together, but for about two or three days now, God has been stirring in my heart, and, and I couldn't decide. I thought he was trying to give me something other than a communion message, but Last night I decided, no, maybe this is what he would have us do. So we're going to do what God has instructed us to do this morning. And we're going to look at communion from the book of Revelation. We're going to start here in 1 Corinthians to give you a picture of what the Lord's Supper is. But then we're going to go to the book of Revelation and and remember some things together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. If you have found that, if you would be so kind as to stand with me in the reading of God's, the honor of the reading of God's word together this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and it reads like this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, this morning, we're going to gather around the Lord's table. We're going to remember, remember that broken body and the spilled blood that was given to us for the remission of our sins. This morning, we're going to approach your throne of grace with a mind that recalls those things that Christ has done for us. So I ask this of you. You stir our hearts. You cause us to remember what Christ has done. You cause us to examine our heart, to lay next to this cause of Christ our life and see how it stacks up. This morning, you make very little of me and very much of you as we open your word. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's interesting as you read this particular account of the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper, it comes in this this First Corinthians epistle, this book here, First Corinthians, it's written by Paul. Paul, one of the great examiners of who Christ was and the, the great expositioner of, of how to live a life that is Christ-like. Paul walked through a difficult time to be a Christian. 
Yet Paul stood firm on the word. And he starts off this particular passage telling us that what we are about to do today, and he says this for saying, I received it from the Lord and delivered it to you. He tells us this which we are about to do today in the taking of communion or the Lord's Supper as we call it. What we are about to do today is one of two things that God instructed us through the lips of Jesus Christ to do in our church. Two ordinances as we call it in the Baptist community. One of those being baptism for all that that come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We believe the Bible explicitly tells us that the outward example of what has been done inward is a person submitting to the instruction of God, being obedient to what Jesus says, and going into that pool of water and being completely immersed in that water and raised from it symbolically as, as their life having passed from death and sin to life in Christ. And that's one of those ordinances that we observe. The second ordinance that we observe is, in fact, this communion, this remembrance, as it says. I find it very interesting. We don't find these words in the Gospels, but we do find it here in in Paul's account. He says that he received this from Jesus, and you'll notice in two or three places there, in two places, he says the same thing. In the end of verse uh, 24, he says, do this in remembrance of me. At the end of verse 25, he says, do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What is communion? What is communion for us? It's, it's remembrance. It's a remembrance. Yet what I find that has struck me this week as I think about remembering, when we think of remembering, we like to look backwards, don't we? Because we remember the past. Yet something struck me this week as I thought about communion. You know, we can remember the future. It's not proclaiming the future. We can actually literally remember the future. As it is written in God's Word. For you see, (laughs) this Bible not only talks about the things that have happened in the past, but it talks to you about the things that happen in the future. In the future. Have you ever thought about remembering the future? (laughs) It seems strange to me, but I ask you this morning, take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Revelation with me. For in the book of Revelation, we've been given many signs and symbols of what is to come. But those signs and symbols hinge on (laughs) why we gather around the communion table. For you see... Without the breaking of the body of Christ, without the blood that flowed from his body, there would be no book of Revelation. See, there would be no future hope. And as I thought about communion this morning and all this week, I kept thinking so often we look back at that cross we remember what Christ did on, for us on that cross. We remember his rising from the dead. We remember the things that he did. But do we remember why he did it? Sure, we recall to mind. We think about Romans 3.23 when it tells us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am so thankful for that passage. Because I realize even though I'm a pastor and you're a congregant in a pew, even though Billy Graham has preached to untold millions of people, even though we have presidents and senators, 
in God's eyes, we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. See, we all stand on a piece of ground at the foot of the cross that's covered in sin, our sin. And the Bible tells us, quite frankly, that all of us are in that same boat. There is not a single one of us that deserve anything from God. Not, not a single one. We, we deserve death, which is what we've chosen by the sin in our life. Eternal death. Yet it tells us that we've all gathered there at the foot of the cross in this same position. It tells us in the Bible that, that God so loved each one of us that he wanted to do something about that sin in our life, that broken fellowship with him. And what was the something he chose to do? To, to look around heaven and find a spotless lamb. And the only spotless lamb that could be found in heaven was his only begotten son. And to send him to this earth to be born in a manger as we have just celebrated in the past season. To grow to be a human man clothed in human form. To, to go through all the temptations and, and trials of life that we walked through. To, to physically put his feet on an earth that he spoke into existence. To, to come and do all that walking a road headed to a mount that would hold a cross of which he would be nailed upon. And, and that happened. He came and he lived this life of, of 30 plus years and was nailed to this cross to die because of, of Romans 3.23. Not, not because it said Jesus had sinned and needed to pay for that sin, but because we had sinned and there needed to be payment made. And you see, he was put upon the cross and was found to be dead. For when they came around and broke the legs of the others that were hung next to him on either side, they did that uh, to make the... the, the Suffering end and death come. See, for Sabbath was about to fall. And they, they came to the ones next to him and they would break their legs so they could no longer push their bodies up to take the weight off of their chest. And, and so they would suffocate. Well, when they came to do that to Jesus, you know, there is no record of his bones being broken. Matter of fact, there is record in the Bible that says he was not. There was not a bone broken in his body. Why? Because when they came to him, he had already looked towards heaven and said, it is finished. He had already decided on his own to give up his life. You see, for the Bible tells us no man took it. Jesus willingly gave it. And you see, we look back at that with communion. We, we look and say, this, this is what Christ has done. And then, and then we think about that empty tomb. In just a few short weeks, we'll gather together to celebrate Easter. The rising of our Savior. And we think about the fact that this tomb is empty because that's God's stamp of approval on what Christ had done as being sufficient to cover the sins of Romans 3.23. That, that empty tomb was God saying, yes, you all fit in Romans 3.22, but you don't have to stay in Romans 3.23. You, you too can rise in Christ Jesus. And we see that in the tomb. And, and often when we come to the table, that is the thought upon our mind. What Christ has done for us. But are you glad, church, that that's not the end of the story? Are you, are you glad that is not the end of the story? So this morning, let's look at how we can remember the end of the story. And we're going to do it very briefly because of our time. But in Revelation, the 21st and 22nd chapters... John is giving 
this whole vision for the book of Revelation while he's on this aisle all to himself. And this, this angel is, is, is proclaiming to him and he's seeing these visions from God and he's writing these things down because they are faithful and true, Revelation says to us. And he's writing all these things down and he's, he's now come to the end of this book of Revelation in the 21st chapter of the first verse. And he says this, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from heaven, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. As we approach the table this morning to remember, let us remember a few things about what our future holds. Let us remember not just that Jesus died for our sins and was raised that we might have life with him eternal, but let's remember why he did it and what the end is going to look like for us. What I recognize when I first look at these passages, as I read that, that very first verse, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. I think about there's going to be this time of renewal. There's going to be renewal. It kind of strikes me, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but notice it says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Do you realize our eternal home does not at this moment exist? Did you know that? It does not exist. There is a heaven, yes, because anywhere that God is, there is a heaven. Yet the Bible says there's going to be a new one. Do you think to be in the presence of God right now would be the most magnificent thing you could ever experience? To be with him where he is right now? I would say yes would be the answer to that question. To be in the presence with God would have to be the most fabulous thing ever. But do you realize the new heaven's going to be even better than that? Because it's going to be made into something completely new. It even says there's going to be a new earth. If you put that vision together, you're going to realize the Garden of Eden is going to be remade all over again. Nice and perfect as we think about the Garden of Eden. Now think about th this earth. What is the most beautiful place you can think of on earth? The wife and I, for our 20th wedding anniversary, had the opportunity to go to Hawaii. Spend 10 days in Hawaii. That is a beautiful place. If you ever get the opportunity, go. Yet you know the thought that comes to my mind? If it's beautiful now, 
what is a glorified Hawaii going to be like? You know, we, we gathered together last night and had some fun and ate a few of us together. Wonderful food. You know, food is really good right now. You can tell. We, I think we had to go up a suit size. My wife got me a new suit. I can actually button this one, so I'm going to do it today because probably next week it will no longer button. Uh, food is just absolutely wonderful. Does anybody like food other than me? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. You know, does anybody like cheeseburgers? I've really grown to like a cheeseburger. Just a, just a regular old cheeseburger. Cheeseburgers make me really happy. But if a cheeseburger makes me happy now, how much better is a cheeseburger going to be in the new heaven and the new earth? Have you thought about it? Fellowship. Hanging out with the person you love. Just sitting in their presence. Wendy and I last night, there was so much on my mind. We left Wilmington, drove all the way to Jen's house, at Rich's house up here, and then all the way home. And and I think she was talking to me. I don't remember, but I don't think I said two words all the way up and all the way back because I was thinking, uh, just just contemplating in my mind. But you know, I didn't have to say anything. It was just enjoyable just being there with her, just riding along, just sitting. Quite often, we, we sit on the couch together, and I don't know what she does at her end. I'm down at my end reading or studying or doing something. We're just in the room together. And it just enjoying things. If that's good now, how much better is that going to be when heaven's redone? You know, we think about the fact that there's going to be this, this heaven where there's clouds. We're wearing diapers. We're playing harps. And, and we're throwing, I don't know, ball in the air or something. That, that's our picture. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If that's heaven, I don't want to go. Just going to be honest with you. I don't want to go. Could you imagine being bored out of your mind, sitting in a diaper on a cloud, playing a harp all day long? Fortunately, that's not what the Bible says yet. <laughs> We, through all of church history, have made it look that way to people. And then we wonder how come they don't want to join us. See, heaven is going to be everything you have now in a glorified state. So, if there are things on your bucket list you haven't got to yet, don't worry. You'll have all of eternity to get there and it'll all be perfect. You know, maybe our bucket list shouldn't be about going to Mount Everest and flying to a different country and going places we've never done. Maybe our bucket list should be the things we can't do in heaven that we can do now. Do you know what that is? Share the gospel of Jesus Christ because there'll be no need in heaven. The only thing that's on your bucket list that you can do here that you can't do in heaven is share Jesus Christ. Take all the things on your bucket list and throw them away and know you'll have all eternity to do them in a new heaven and a new earth. Share Jesus Christ. See, so he tells us there's going to be this period of renewal. But he also tells us in the second and third verses, he says, I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And he says these words, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, in our culture, it's not so grand of a thing. It is, but, but not the way it was back then. Back then, there was this, this period where uh, a wife would be chosen for a husband. And, and there may be this extended period of time that they, were, they knew they were going to come together to be husband and wife, but they were separated. There, there was a time when, when the husband would be back building the home that they were going to stay in and preparing uh, for, for the bride. And the bride would be there getting ready, getting, getting ready for not, not really knowing when, when everything was going to come together. But they knew it was going to come together. They, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they were going to be married, but they weren't quite sure of the time. Matter of fact, we see the stories in the Bible. Remember the ladies with the lamps laying outside waiting. And when it finally happened, they weren't ready because they weren't prepared, if you remember that. See, it was a picture that you would see coming through the city, the light trail, as they were coming together to, to meet. And I think not only is there going to be a renewal, one day there's going to be a reunion. 
There's going to be a reunion in this new heaven and a new earth. See, I know we all say, and I, and I hear it say, and I've said it at funerals and maybe should stop. We all say, I can't wait to get to heaven to see that loved one of mine that's passed on and be reunited. You know, in my heart, I really believe that that's not going to matter when you get there. It's really not. I, I have ones that I just would love to see again. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's going to matter. Do you know why? Because my Savior's going to be there. If you go on before me, just take with you from this moment forward. I'll say hey to you when I get to heaven. But I'm not going to be looking for you. You know who I'm going to be looking for? My Jesus. See, there's going to be a day, it says there, that, that there's going to be a bride and a husband. They're going to be put together. That's us and, and this Savior, this Jesus. The one that today we're going to celebrate what he did for us. So there's not only this renewal and this reunion, but you know there's also going to be this, for lack of a better term, release. Release. Even though you may know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, there is one thing I still know about you on this earth. Sin gives you a fit. Sin gives you a fit. I was just talking to someone today that was, that was telling me, I said, I would share the story about what's going on with me right now because there's some heavy burden, but I can't do it because it would just be spreading gospel or, or gossiping. And, and just know there's something heavy. And, and I looked at him and said, yeah, I got heavy things too. And I said, we know. He said, I know. He said, being a pastor doesn't keep you from having that in your life either. And it doesn't. If you look up here and think the, the uh, pastor's on a pedestal, all you're doing is setting it up so one day it can be kicked out from under me and I can fall. See, I'm no different than you. I, I try my best to live as, as Christ would have me live. But you know what? I'm in a body <laughs> that desires things of the flesh, desires sin. I live in a world that that's what it sells, is sin. And we all battle that. But you know the good thing? <laughs> the good thing is there's going to be this day that we are released from that. For he says down in the fourth verse, one day he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes why do we shed tears today what mostly causes tears in our life so stupid sinful things we've done you know what if we didn't sin there'd be a whole lot less tears in our life wouldn't there i don't know how many buckets of tears i've shed over the sin in my life but one day he's going to wipe away that those tears but but notice what else he says <laughs> there's going to be no more death no more death. What brought death to us in the first place? Sin. See, had there been no sin, there'd be no death. Why is there going to be no death in heaven? There's going to be no sin. There'll be no tears to shed. There'll be no death. It goes on to say there'll be no sorrow. There's going to be absolutely no more crying. And there shall be no more pain. I wake up almost every morning... With some sort of pain. <laughs> I guess it comes when you start getting a little older. Somehow my wife, she never wakes up with pain at all. I think she's getting younger and I'm getting older or something somewhere in there. She bought this new mattress for the bed because the other one just killed her. And we bought this one. Ever since we got this one, I wake up hurting. She said, why didn't you say something? I said, look, <laughs> when we had the old mattress and you hurt, you were miserable. Therefore, I was miserable. So when we got the new mattress, you quit hurting and you're no longer miserable. I'm still miserable. But if we go back to the old mattress, I'm still going to be miserable. It's no, worth, no sense of both of us being miserable. But have you noticed? 
hid your life physically, you just have a few more hurts and pains. Things are hurting a little more. Yet there's other pains in our life that are greater than that. I think it's the pain of the things that we do against a God that has given so much for us that causes us the greatest pain. The pain of seeing those around us who just don't get the message of this Jesus Christ and what he's done. This pain that we feel here, it's gone forever when heaven shows back up. When this new heaven appears, matter of fact, there'll be no more need for a single tear to be shed because there'll be no more crying. So there's this release. But what then are we going to be doing in heaven? Very quickly in chapter 22, verse 3, it tells us this. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. You know what we're going to be doing in the new heaven? We're going to be doing that which we were built for. So often I hear preachers get up and preach the Genesis passage and say, because of sin in Genesis, man was made to work, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not how work came about. Man was made to work from the start. Why? Because the new heaven, you're all going to be servants to a mighty king, along with myself. See, we tend to think there'll be nothing to do. There'll be plenty to do. Because we're going to be reassigned. We're going to be direct service to an almighty God in his presence. For some of you, you're not looking forward to that. I am. I am absolutely looking forward to the day that I get to serve my Jesus face to face. See, in that new heaven, we're going to be reassigned. And we're going to be reassigned to do service to the king as well as the fifth point here. We're going to reign because verse 5 says this. There shall be no more night. <laughs> they need no lamp nor light for the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. See, in this new kingdom, this new heaven, you're going to be a servant and a king. <laughs> a servant and a king. What are you going to reign over? i got absolutely no idea. Because we're all going to be there together. Are we going to reign over each other? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I do know there's going to be a creation that Adam and Eve originally set over to reign over. Remember, even Adam had the opportunity to name all the animals as king. But that to me is not the important part. Notice it says we're going to be a servant and a king. Can you think of anyone else that was called a servant and a king? Jesus. We're going to be like Jesus. When the new heaven shows up, we're going to be like Jesus. What an awesome thought. But you know, Revelation 21 doesn't end with those pictures of that. This, the section we read doesn't end there. I, I would love to say that with only five minutes left in our service this morning, that, that I, would, I would love to end the message there. There's only one problem with that. I would have only told you half the story. See, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There are going to be those times of renewal. There are going to be those times of reunion. There are going to be those times that, that, that we're going to be released from sin. We're, we're going to be reassigned to service. We're going to reign. But that is only for the ones who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
You see, John, when he writes this section of Scripture, gives you both of the pictures. For he says there in verse 8 of Revelation 21, he says, but, one of the most powerful three-letter words in the Bible, but. There's a whole thing described ahead of the but, which is those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and our eternal home in a place called heaven. And then this word, but, draws a line in the sand between those who will experience the glories of heaven and those, as it says, who will be in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. See, there's something else we need to remember when we approach this throne of grace that we call the communion table. When we come to this communion table, Jesus Christ did die for our sins. He did come and hang up on a cross for all who believe. Your destiny from birth, the default destiny of your eternal soul, is not heaven. I hate to break the news to you. The default destiny of your soul when you're born is not a place called heaven. It is a place called hell. See, hell is your destiny. Because if heaven was your destiny, there would be no need for Jesus. Jesus came so that your destiny could be changed. So if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your destiny, no matter how good you are, how many people you helped, how much money you've given, how many times you sat in church, how many awards you've won for perfect church attendance, how many times you've been dunked in a pool, how many times you've walked that aisle will make no difference. Your destiny is still a place called hell. There, there's no way around it. Because the only way to change your destiny of hell to the destiny of heaven is through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. So there's a couple of things I see very quickly in that 8th verse of the 21st chapter. Where it talks about the default destination. It says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake. Notice the list. And notice part of that list could sit in a church every week and think they're saved. Cowardly is the very first one on the list. You know why more people don't know about Jesus Christ in our world today? Got a bunch of cowardly Christians. Yeah, that's it. If we were more proud of this Jesus that died for our sins and not scared, more people would know about Jesus. One of the very first things on the list is, is a cowardly person. So don't think as you read this list that it's all those that are really bad. No, some of these are going to be people that when you share Jesus with them, they'll go, I live a good life. <laughs> yes, you do. And your destiny is going to be this place of eternal torment that it tells us at the end of that verse. It's a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Do I know if it's a, a, an actual lake that has fire and actually has... I, I don't know, but like one of the videos we saw on Wednesday night, even if this is symbolic language, even if it's not literal that it's going to be a fiery lake with brimstone and the gnashing of teeth as we read in other places and this, this utter darkness, if those things are just symbols and not actually what it is, what are they symbols for? It's like David Platt said, it's, it's not a symbol for a winter vacation in a tropical paradise. Hell is a bad place. Hell is a place you don't want to go. Are you willing to take the chance that your good life is going to keep you from being there where your destination is set? Are you going to take the chance that you're going to look Jesus in the eye one day and say, I appreciate you dying for me, but I really didn't need that because I've lived a good life. Because you know that's what you're saying if you're trusting only in yourself 
and not in Jesus. So not only is it eternal torment, but it's an eternal destination. In this 22nd chapter, verse 11 of Revelation, it says this. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. You know what that is speaking of? The fact, once you set your foot in a place called hell because you have refused to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be there eternally. There is not a second chance. Once you have chosen to be unjust, you will remain unjust. Once you have chosen to be filthy, not washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you will remain filthy. There will never be another opportunity. If you leave this place today and drop dead, that will end your opportunity. How important is eternity to you? Do do you really think that God's going to overlook you because you're not willing to submit to Jesus just because you've lived a good life? Jesus says no, but thankfully there is a way around that. There is a way past that filthiness of your life, that eternal destination of hell. And it's right there in the 22nd chapter, in the 17th verse. For there's an eternal answer to the problem, and it says this. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So as we approach the communion table this morning, and I know we've already run out of time, but it's worth all of eternity to me for you to understand there's a line in the sand. There is a line that if you're on one side of that line, heaven is going to be your eternal home. And if you stand on the opposite side of that line, hell is your eternal home. There's only one way to cross that line, and it's to come to this man named Jesus. To come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Ask for the blood that flowed from his body to wash your sins as white as snow. It's not in the roster of a church. It's not in good living. It's not in what your mother, daddy, or your grandmother did. It's you coming because your soul thirsts for Christ. So we're going to do something different this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to speak to your heart before we come to this table. Before we come to this table to partake of what Christ has done and remember what he's done for us I've just got to ask you do you know in your heart that you have come to the water that flows from the life giving spring that water that flows from the the body of Christ in the form of his blood to wash away your sins do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you personally have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins If not, this morning, it's really simple. You just have to recognize the fact that you are a sinner. 
in need of a Savior, and the only Savior that there is ever and ever will be given is this Jesus Christ. And this morning, right where you sit, you can say a simple prayer that may sound something like this. You may say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and, and I need forgiveness. And that forgiveness can only come through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins, and I turn my life over to Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. This morning, if you're willing to pray that prayer because you don't know that you have ever experienced that in your life, I just ask you with every head bowed that you just slip your hand up for me. Maybe this morning then there are those who say, you know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm saved, but I also know that as I approach this throne of grace that we call communion this morning, as we come to communion, the Bible gives us a distinctive that we should do that with clean hands and a pure heart. Maybe this morning you came into this place and there's sin in your life you have not confessed to your Heavenly Father and asked for forgiveness. This morning as you sit before Him, you're not filling Him in on what the problem is. You're agreeing with Him that it's a sin. So this morning in the quietness of this place, you confess to Him, trusting in 1 John 1, 9 where it says, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to go on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. This morning you do that in preparation for the taking of the Lord's Supper. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.